Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Welcome to our program. Tom Hartman here with you. We're live in Portland, and it's going to turn out to be a beautiful day here. I hope it's nice where you are. Donald Trump has landed in Dayton, Ohio. Then he's going on to El Paso, Texas. They've got the baby Trump you know, Trump in a diaper with little tiny hands and a cell phone, the giant blimp. It's like 50 feet tall. They've got that all inflated and ready for Trump. He says he's going to be meeting with first responders, in other words, cops. I'm wondering if even the police are still on his side. Everything that's going on here is just extraordinary. And I think that we really need to consider what's actually going on. Donald Trump, the NRA, and the Republican Party, they all keep talking about mental illness as the core of our problem right now in America. And ironically, we do have a major mental health problem in our country, which is affecting our politics. And that problem is in the White House. Our president is mentally ill. This needs to be said. This needs to be said out loud. It needs to be said in the news media. It needs to be said by our politicians. He is a pathological liar. The Washington Post has documented over 16,000 lies since he became president. Now, pathological means ill, right? A pathology is an illness. A pathological liar is one who has a mental illness that causes them to continuously lie. That is the guy in the White House, Donald Trump. That is a mental illness, being a pathological liar. And by the way, not just like random lies, like, you know, paying to cover up his affairs when he's sleeping with a porn star months after his wife gave birth to their son. He had a year-long affair with another woman, paying to cover that up a year after his wife gave birth to their son. He lies with such easy facility. I mean, he, this morning, he talked to the press on a way out to the plane, and the press dutifully carried it, and he lied. This man is mentally ill, and he's president of the United States. And until we recognize that, until we acknowledge that, until we begin a national conversation pointing out that not only is what he's doing not normal, but what he is doing actually represents mental illness. Until we have that conversation, nobody's going to heal from anything. His lies, his continuous contradictions... His erratic behavior, both domestically and internationally, you know, they're not only putting the world at risk and our country at risk and obviously put the citizens of El Paso and Dayton at risk, or at least El Paso, but they're also symptoms of severe mental illness. You know, we've had, a, we've had what, three psychologists and a psychiatrist. We had Justin Frank, professor of psychiatry at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., one of the most respected medical schools in the world who comes right out and says, this is a psychiatrist and a professor of psychiatry, comes right out and says, yeah, Donald Trump is mentally ill. I mean, you know, literally hundreds of America's mental health professionals have signed, I don't recall if it was a petition or a letter or whatever it was, 
saying Donald Trump is mentally ill. But there's no serious discussion of Trump's mental illness. It hasn't moved out of the realm of mental health professionals and into the mainstream of our public dialogue. And if we can't acknowledge that we have a disabled man in the White House and that his disability is literally putting us and the entire world, from global warming to nuclear war to Iran and North Korea and Venezuela, you know, it's, his mental illness is putting us at risk. You know, one of the most common understandings in the mental health community, it's a cliche, is that healing starts with acknowledging the cause of the problem. We as a nation are not going to heal from this trauma that has been inflicted on us by the Trump presidency and the Republican complicity in it until we acknowledge that it is Donald Trump's mental illness that has torn us apart. It is Donald Trump's mental illness that has poisoned our national dialogue. It is Donald Trump's mental illness that has poisoned our international relations. He has that hoarding syndrome that we've talked about with so many, particularly of our right-wing billionaires who are just more, 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 more. There's never enough. There's never enough. This comes out of a deep-seated mental illness. In this case, uh, Professor Frank told us it's because his father basically hated him and his mother didn't want to be his mother. His mother didn't apparently want to be anybody's mother. I, you know, they, they shipped him off to military academy when he was 13 because he was accumulating switchblades and threatening people. He was a bully when he, he was 10, 11, 12 years old. He was constantly beating people up and threatening people. And finally, his father said, I can't deal with this. Sent him off to military academy. And when he came home during the summers, his mother went to Scotland without him. And he was left with his father who hated him, according to Dr. Frank. And that mental illness produced this, there's never enough. There's never enough love. There's never enough money. There's never enough. And so because of that mental illness, he's willing to play footsie with dictators around the world as long as he can have a hotel in their country. He's got a Trump Tower in the Philippines. He loves Duterte, who's killing people and bragging about it. And Duterte, the president of the Philippines, you know, a right-wing Trumpster, talking about a, a high-profile woman, I don't recall why, whether she was in politics or the media, who was raped. And Duterte said, well, that he was disappointed that he, wasn't, he didn't have an opportunity to be one of the men who was raping her. She was gang raped. You've got Trump supporting Erdogan in Turkey. He's got two Trump Towers in Turkey. You got Trump wanting to build a Trump Tower in Moscow and saying, oh, you know, well, Vladimir Putin told me that they weren't going to interfere with our election. I believe him over the CIA. Why? Because he, there's a billion dollars at stake. This is his mental illness. He's willing to violate all the norms of our society and has apparently since he was a child because he's mentally ill. So, yeah, the NRA is right. We have a mental illness problem in this country. It's in the White House. The Republicans are right. There's a mental illness problem animating in part things like the El Paso shooting. And that mental illness problem is Donald Trump, the president of the United States, being mentally ill. He displayed it this morning to the press in his press availability when he lied through his teeth to them, as he does literally every time he's on camera. Unless he's reading a teleprompter, and even then, you know, but... I mean, we see how absolutely erratic this guy is. So, the proposition that I'm putting forward, everybody's talking about, oh, you know, we need to heal America. Justin Frank was saying, you know, in the absence of a nurturing father figure in the White House, or parental figure, during a time of crisis and the need for healing, that we need a leader to step up and be the person who's going to pull the country together. And that's clearly not going to be Donald Trump, and it's clearly not going to be Mike Pence. Who's number three in line? Nancy Pelosi. And, uh, and Justin said Nancy Pelosi should pull the House back into session and be that leader. Well, I don't disagree, but I don't think that's going to heal this country. I don't think that this country is going to begin healing until we acknowledge that the man in the White House 
who is there, in my opinion, illegitimately. He's there because of voter suppression by the Republican Party in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. He is there because of intervention in our elections by the Saudis and the Russians and God only knows who else. He is there because billionaires have, quote, free speech, according to the Supreme Court, to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into our elections. And he happened to be at the top of the ticket. Until we acknowledge that this man is mentally ill and that his mental illness is what is damaging our country, we're not going to be healing. His constant thirst for more, more, more. He just put a guy in charge of our public lands who used to be a lobbyist for selling off our public lands. He put him in charge of like 20% of all the land in America. He put a coal lobbyist in charge of the EPA. He put an oil lobbyist in charge of the Interior Department. He put a private school advocate in charge of our education department. He put a man that Forbes magazine calls a fraud and a grifter in charge of our commerce department, a billionaire. What kind of person does these things? A mentally ill person. We have to acknowledge that this man is mentally ill and this is the cause of our problems. And we need our media to start talking like this and we need our politicians to start talking like this. And, you know, I realize that some people will say, well, that's going to take you to the 25th Amendment. Won't that be wonderful? I have no hope that Mike Pence is going to talk like this. I think he's sick, too. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's just that, you know, Mike Pence's psychopathologies are nowhere near as severe as Donald Trump's. Jeanette in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Jeanette, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I thank you for taking me, but very important today, Walmart has some uh, Walmart stores whose employees are out front. They're picketing out front, and it has to do with El Paso. It has to do with the gun sales and their feeling of not being safe. So I am asking all people listening to you to call their local Walmart stores and tell Walmarts to get out of the gun business. And I also approached Walmart headquarters today and told them the same thing. So we can call them, tell them to get out of the gun business. Yeah. We know what guns are doing to this country. And Walmart employees are not safe. We're not even safe going into Walmart anymore. Yeah. Boycott them. So you said, to. Jeanette, you said that there were people out front of Walmart picketing. Which Walmart employees were out front where? in some stores. Interesting. Okay. I'm I don't know where they're doing it, but some Walmart employees have walked out. Yeah. I didn't in see that story. I'm going to have to check it out. Jeanette, thanks. Thanks for the heads up on Please that. Please have them call their local Walmarts. Get oh, out I think you of just the did. gun business. You just did, and I agree with you. Thank you. Tim in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, thank you for watching Free Speech. What's up? Almost anything you can say now has to be kind of symbolic because he's he's destroying the legal system and preventing anything from happening to him. I think what they should do in El Paso is somebody with some political savvy and power down there, when he comes in, actually do a symbolic citizen's arrest for him being a co-conspirator in a murder. You think that would make the news? Well, it would probably get them arrested for just getting close to him, but I think that they should turn their backs on him. They should shun yeah, him. Absolutely. And you know what's really ironic? This is all going to pass by the wayside in a short period of time, like all these mass killings have done, unfortunately. But I'll guarantee you, in his next rally, if he came into one of his next rallies with these lunatics that show up and said something like, we certainly got rid of a lot of those Mexicans in El Paso, he would get cheers. There's yeah. no question about it. That's what's going on in this country. And then, then one simple last thought, if... Uh, Pence, Trump, and uh, McConnell were both all led down the Capitol steps in handcuffs and taken out of office and put in jail with, with Cohen for a while. Do you that the world would change dramatically tomorrow? There's no question about it. Oh, I agree with that, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean, symbolically, those are the things you have to think about. Obviously, it's not going to happen based on the way they're controlling the legal system at this point. You know, if you look at the headlines of newspapers around the world, rather than just in the United States, or if you look at Agence France Press or France. 24 is the television network or BBC. I listened to the BBC podcast last night. 
people all around the world are talking about the United States not being safe. You, get, you know, I believe it was Ecuador and Venezuela, both uh, their State Department said, you know, if you're Hispanic, don't go to America because you might be the victim of a mass shooting. I mean, it's like we have become that S-hole nation that Donald Trump was talking about. But Tim, thank you very much. Sleep is really important stuff. It's when our body basically revives itself, renews itself, rebuilds itself, flushes out waste. It's just a whole cleaning process, both physiologically and psychologically. Mentally, our brain does this as well. And uh, that's why it's so important. We need, you know, typically seven to nine hours of sleep. The average person is eight hours. And one of the biggest problems that keeps people from getting that sleep is temperature. It's tough to get a good night's sleep if you're too hot or too cold. And your need for temperature changes throughout the night, which is why I want to tell you about the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed specifically designed to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. Developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep, it combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like your bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can both you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. You can get the pod, the most advanced sleep system on the market, at 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Tom. Try the pod for 100 nights. If you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. Once again, that's 8sleep.com slash Tom. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. By the way, welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. The 25th Amendment says that if the president is disabled, now, you know, what they had in mind was the president had a stroke, the president had a heart attack, you know, Franklin Roosevelt had a stroke, Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack, both while in office. If the president is shot but not killed, which is what happened to McKinley, well, he died two days later of gangrene, but, you know, for two days he was still president, that the vice president can declare the president incapacitated and take over. And the cabinet, or a majority of the cabinet, can essentially make that permanent. They take it to Congress. Now, I have no illusions that that's going to happen. Because as I said, I think, you know, Mike Pence is, he's just a, you know, he's just a craven politician. This is the same Mike Pence who was writing op-eds in the newspaper about how tobacco doesn't cause addiction. This is the same Mike Pence who pushed through and, you know, enthusiastically signed legislation that essentially said that if women had miscarriages, that they had to provide funerals for, you know, whatever came out in, you know, whatever, you know, blood came out or whatever, and report themselves to the, and or report themselves to the police, got knocked down by the courts. Pence is not, he's not going to initiate the 25th Amendment. So that's not the argument I'm making. But we do have to do something about this. And part of the problem, obviously, is guns. And at the risk of sounding self-serving, and I'm just going to say this right up front, I, you know, I have a new book out. It's called The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment. And it goes through you know, why the Second Amendment is not what the Supreme Court recently said it is, what the real history of it is, what the history of guns in America is, and most importantly, the last third of the book, is all the ways that we can solve this problem. You've all heard about the cars and driver's license thing. You know, Cory Booker has now picked up my driver's license thing. A few other politicians are talking about that, treating guns like cars. I also think that we should treat semi-automatic weapons the same way we do automatic, fully automatic weapons, that we should get all the weapons of war off the streets. Straightforward stuff. Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, I believe is her name, also wrote an excellent book. There are a number of excellent books out there on guns. Get one of them. Mine is the shortest. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we not only need a conversation about the mental illness of our president, but we also need a conversation about how destructive this so-called free speech right that the Supreme Court gave to corporations, billionaires, and the NRA has been to the United States. And, and how the Republican Party and a few Democrats have enabled this over the years. 
But I'm telling you, we are not going to have a solution to this problem or any of the larger problems that we're facing on the international stage as well as national until we acknowledge that Trump is mentally ill. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. This is from Chapter 1, The Unholy Alliance of Racism, Genocide, and Guns. In Isaiah 14, 21, the Lord tells Isaiah, Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. It's a variation on the old story of karma and seems in a very real way to be playing out today in the United States. America is facing an epidemic. Public health officials use that word of gun-related suicides, accidents, and even homicides and police killings. That epidemic has grown worse in the past decade, largely because the number of guns in America has increased, in large part because of the racial fears of white men who have bought guns in record numbers for eight years during the time in office of America's first black president. A landmark 1999 study from researchers Franklin Zimmerin and Gordon Hawkins showed that the main correlation, far surpassing mental illness, socioeconomic status, or race, that could be defined as causal in predicting the rates of gun deaths is a simple number, the number of guns distributed among society. In the 30 years since that study, Zimmerin and Hawkins' results have been replicated and reanalyzed dozens of times. As the American Academy of Pediatrics said in a release published in AAAS's Science Magazine, quote, new research shows dramatic differences in the number of children hospitalized and killed each year in the U.S. from firearm-related injuries based on their state's gun legislation, even after adjusting for poverty, unemployment, and education rates. It found twice as many pediatric firearm deaths in states with the most lenient gun regulations compared to states where gun laws are strictest, end quote. They added that this is a critical issue for children, quoting Stephanie Cho, MD, the lead author of the abstract, quote, firearm-related injuries are the second leading cause of death among children in the United States. But we found a clear discrepancy in where those deaths happen that corresponds with the strengths of states' firearm legislation. In states with lenient laws, children die at alarmingly greater rates, end quote. And unsurprisingly, America not only has unusually lenient gun laws, but also has more guns in civilian hands than any other country in the world. America has a bit more than 4% of the world's population, but holds almost 50% of all the guns in civilian hands worldwide, more than 390 million guns. And the more guns a society has, the more gun deaths it will experience. The NRA and their army of lobbyists have been quite successful in making this happen. During Obama's presidency, there was a steady and hysterical drumbeat of articles, emails, and political proclamations by so-called pro-gun politicians and think tanks, suggesting that Obama was preparing to take away everyone's guns at any minute. There was even a subtext embraced by the hard right that he wasn't going to stop there. After disarming white Americans, these folks said, Obama was going to intern them in otherwise unused FEMA camps. Flipped-out gun owners were repeatedly arrested during the Obama years, trying to break into retired or temporarily vacant military facilities and toxic waste sites, looking for evidence to prove that Obama was, in fact, preparing the modern-day version of the World War II-era Japanese internment camps. White supremacy was the founding notion of this nation. White Europeans thought themselves so superior to the human beings they met here in 1492 that Columbus himself became the first North American slaver, shipping Taino Indians back to Spain as slaves to the royal family. A slave is as good as gold, Columbus wrote for the king and queen. Europeans in the Americas then stepped up that game into a hemisphere-wide campaign of racial genocide, pulling off the largest multi-generational mass murder in the history of the world. In the midst of that effort, they also created the legal mechanisms necessary to define and legally regulate slavery, and even built those systems into America's founding document the Constitution. America was birthed in slavery and genocide, and both needed guns. It was the superior weaponry of guns that gave the European settlers a massive advantage over the bow and arrow equipped Native Americans, and it was the raw power of widespread white ownership of guns in the South that propped up the institution of slavery for hundreds of years. 
Without guns, neither would have been possible, or at least neither would have been as easy as they were to pull off. And now, after centuries of guns being used to kill off and keep down people of color in America, those same guns are creating a terrifying epidemic of gun-facilitated violence from public schools to private homes and public concerts. It's enough to make one think that I, Isaiah, was on to something. Chapter 2, The Sanitized History of America. The United States' expansion and conquest in the late 18th century through the 19th century and into the 20th century is a history written by white men, inked in the blood of Native Americans, and built on the broken and bloody backs of enslaved people brought here from Africa. From 1791, when the Bill of Rights went into effect, until the end of the Civil War, the Second Amendment protected the rights only of white men to own guns. This is simply because until the ratification of the 14th Amendment, states determined who was recognized as a person protected under the Constitution. Initially, in most states, that meant the white men who owned land and paid taxes were the only people considered full citizens under the Constitution. In the South, white men with guns formed slave patrols to control slaves and formed posses to hunt escaped slaves. The book, The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment. I've got an important message for all my listeners. Economists will tell you that rising gold prices are an indicator of a failing currency. Well, gold is already up over 10% just since January and up over 33% in the last three years. What is all this really telling us? Well, the last crash was just a warning. It's only been papered over with trillions of dollars in new debt, and statistically, the next crash is already overdue. This reality has pushed the demand for precious metals to price levels not seen in nearly six years. The time to buy gold is now, before the crash and before the next price increase. The big questions everyone asks are, who can I trust and what types of gold do I buy? Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold The proper gold and silver strategy will help secure all your major assets, including your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. 1-888-OWN-GOLD. I've got a piece up. It's uh, over at Raw Story and in Common Dreams, and I'm guessing it's going to show up in a few more places, talking about how basically the slave patrol never went away. The slave patrols of Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, they were part of the Constitution of those states back when the, we operated under the Articles of Confederation. The Second Amendment was changed. They, they dropped the word country and replaced it with the word state. In the Virginia Ratifying Convention in the summer of 1788, at the request of Patrick Henry, the largest slaveholder in Virginia, in order to give primacy uh, you know, for the state militias to have more power than the federal militia, essentially, than the power to federalize. I lay all this out in my book, The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment, which I think is more timely now than it's ever been. I, it's amazing that that book just came out a couple months ago. And it just, it's like stepping into a time machine. It, you know, I mean, it goes all the way back to the founding of the Republic, and then it comes right up to right now. You know, wealthy people, wealthy Republicans specifically, I mean, there's a lot of very good wealthy progressives out there. Let's just stipulate that. But how right-wing billionaires have basically been willing to sell this country out. Since 76, the Buckley decision, when the Supreme Court legalized billionaires owning politicians, which brought Reagan into office, a politician entirely owned by the billionaire class. Back then it was the multimillionaire class. And it's just continued right up to this day. Paul Krugman is talking about it. How this perpetual inequality or this constant increase in inequality as a result of Republican tax policies has wiped out the middle class. And now the white middle class in particular is sitting around going, we're screwed. Who screwed us? And what are the Republicans saying? What is Donald Trump saying? It's the brown people from south of the border. And what should we do about that? Well, somebody in a rally says to Donald Trump, shoot them. And Trump goes, ha, 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 ha. Right. But there's a larger issue here that concerns me tremendously. And that is the rise of fascism in this country that is being driven by these forces. Sean Hannity on Fox and Friends said, what should we do? We should put armed 
people, not police, armed civilians around every school. He said, secure the perimeter of those schools. Equip them with retired police and military. They should be on every floor of every school. Now, let me just tell you, there are 100,000 public schools and 35,000 private K-12 schools. There's 135,000 schools in America. There's 116,000 shopping malls. So between the two of them, you've got about 250,000 locations. And in the entire country, we have 700,000 police officers. So in order to put five or 10 armed civilians in each one of these 250,000 locations, you're going to need more than twice as many armed civilians as we have cops. The Hannity force, right? Doesn't this sound familiar? You ever heard of the Sturmabteilung? And I'm sure I'm mangling that, but uh, it was the main paramilitary wing of the Nazi party. These were volunteers. Hitler said, we need volunteers to show up and protect our party and protect our people. I mean, the, the most famous, uh, the beginning of the essay, the brown shirts, the volunteers, they wore brown shirts because there was all this surplus. The German army in World War I had ordered millions of brown uniform shirts. And they were left over from World War I, and they were super cheap. And so, you know, this became the official uniform of the volunteers. Sort of like, you know, the modern uniform, you'll recall, before the Charlottesville massacre, the guy who put the thing together, Mr. Anglin, as I recall, sent out an email to his group saying, it's going to be a lot of cameras, we got to look very normal, khaki slacks, and polo shirts. And so what did all those Nazis wear in Charlottesville? Khaki pants and polo shirts. What did Mike Pence wear when he went down and part of his group, his cabinet, when they went down to look at one of the detention centers filled with brown people? They wore khaki pants and polo shirts. Well, in 1923, for Hitler's volunteers, it was slacks and brown shirts because brown shirts were normal, they were ubiquitous, and they were cheap, just like polo shirts and khakis. And they started out basically as the essay, the beer hall push in Munich, this was you know, basically a riot. It was like Charlottesville. It was a riot on behalf of, of Hitler. And then over the next couple of years, they went up to Upper Silesia. This is the German border with Poland to protect against Poles coming into Germany. Volunteers at the border. Does this sound familiar? This is how the essay got started. In fact, Hitler was calling the Poles who were coming into Germany looking for work invaders, infiltrators, and traitors. Those were his words. So here's what Sean Hannity had to say on Fox News. But let's stop school shootings. We'll start there. Let's stop mall shootings. We'll start there. I'd like to see the perimeter of every school in America surrounded, secured by retired police, you get this? which you are, retired Secret Service, retired. which you are, military. Right. And I want guys to donate 15 hours. There I think we go. could cover every school, every hour, every day, add a, a metal detector. Force. I think we're going to have safer schools. Have yeah. one armed guard on every floor of every school right. and all and, over every mall. And let's the take perimeter it to our and inside too, every hall right? of every mall. Now, that gives us an instant response opportunity that we normally wouldn't have. Would that save lives in your humble, well, your expert opinion? So how did that work out in Germany back in 1924? When this weird little guy with a mustache, who nobody took seriously, and was constantly spitting and foaming at the mouth about those immigrants from Poland, and the volunteer force, the brown shirts, they were all volunteers. They were not paid for by the state. They were not armed by the state. Their uniforms didn't come from the state. They were volunteers, number one. And number two, how about just the practical reality of it? As Samuel Singenway tweets, after Columbine, 10,000 school police officers were hired just in case another school shooting happened. This is all across the country. 10,000 after Columbine police officers put in our schools. What has been the result of that? Have any of those school police officers stopped even one shooting? No, not one. 
but they have arrested over one million children. Over one million children now have criminal records because we put cops in our schools. You know, Abraham Maslow said, when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. When the only tool you have is a cop, when you're running a school, then every discipline problem looks like a crime. What a surprise. Just in the 2013 school year alone, 70,000 students were arrested. Two-thirds of them, students of color. In Columbine, there were actually school police there. There were two of them. I mean, you go through the list. Samuel again tweets these. The Demi Middle School, the shooter was arrested, not by the school police. In Buell Elementary, the third mass shooting, these were school shootings. An unarmed teacher takes down the shooter and Lake Fort Worth, and the fourth school shooting. I mean, we could just go right through the list. Shooter flags down police, turns himself in. In the fifth one, Santana High, school security tried to stop the shooter but got killed. The shooter was caught by police later at Red Lion High, now the sixth school shooting after Columbine. The shooter committed suicide. Ricori High, a gym coach disarmed the shooter, an unarmed gym coach. In Red Lake High, the eighth school shooting, the shooter committed suicide. The ninth school shooting after Columbine, Campbell High, the shooter was disarmed by an unarmed teacher. The tenth school shooting, Essex Elementary, the shooter shot himself. The eleventh school shooter, Weston High, unarmed janitor, an unarmed principal disarmed the shooter. The twelfth school shooting, West Nickel Mines, the shooter committed suicide. The thirteenth, Miller South, committed suicide. I mean, it just goes on like this. The 14th, Chardon High, the shooter was chased out of school by an unarmed teacher. The 15th was Sandy Hook, the shooter committed suicide. The 16th, Sparks Middle, the shooter committed suicide. The 17th, Arapahoe High, the shooter committed suicide. Where are the Hannity forces going to be? Where are the brown shirts? Well, they don't seem to have helped out with school or mall shootings. In fact, the one mall shooting that I can think of where a, quote, good guy with a gun actually stopped a shooter... The good guy with the gun was an African-American who himself was shot by the police when they showed up because they thought, oh, it's a black guy. He must be, and he's got a gun. He must be the shooter. We got 700,000 cops in this country. We're going to put a million armed people in our malls and our schools. Not to mention, I mean, you know, you've already got, you had Sheriff Mack on this program talking about how him and the sheriffs were taking a bunch of people down to the southern border to patrol the border. This is exactly what the brown shirts were doing in 1924, 1925. Only it was the border with Poland. Those Polish invaders, those vermin, that infestation, that invasion of Poles looking for jobs into Germany. Holy cow, does history repeat itself or what? This is the Tom Hartman Program. So I've been traveling a lot, doing the book tour, and, and uh, you know we just went on a listener cruise and all these kind of things, and, and you get in and out of time zones and don't sleep well, and I end up sometimes looking a little more tired and old than I'd like. <laughs> what do you do? Plexiderm. And I'm not talking about days or weeks to work. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under-eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that in minutes? The science behind Plexiderm is incredible with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under-eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under-eye bags disappear. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get my discount. That's TriPlexiderm.com with the code TOM. Or call 1-800-685-1292 and mention Tom. Welcome back. Ann in Van Nuys, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Ann, what's up? I'd like to point out something. I believe one of the first things Trump did when he got in office was he revoked the standard or requirement that prevented insane or mentally disturbed and violent people from getting guns. Correct. The other thing I'd like to point out is recently he addressed in Jamestown and he declared 1619 Jamestown is the founding of democracy in, in America. And I think that's code because that's when the first slaves came. That's right. 
I'd like you to, like, maybe on your website, put together a book list. I read most of the books you recommend. I'm reading They Thought They Were Free right now. and Which um, is shocking, isn't it, Anne? Well, the ordinariness of it and the bystander. And I just wonder, I keep wondering how many of us could stand up, although I think knowing this gives us the courage to stand up. Yes. So that's really all I wanted to say. <laughs> okay. Well, you said it very well, and they thought they were free. Is by Milton Mayer. It's just an astonishing book. And thank you for the call. Karen in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hey, Karen, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thank you for your program and your insight. I just think that some of these Democratic candidates who are running for president should address the addiction that's out there, the addiction to money. I think if they would compare the Republican addiction to the vast accumulation of wealth and money to drug addiction, alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, which common people in this country understand. Mm. They understand symptoms of drug addiction. They need to see it in the addiction to money and how it's ripping our country apart as much as drug addiction. I get your metaphor, Karen, or analogy, I guess it really is, but I would split it in half. I would say that the right-wing billionaires who are fighting for more tax cuts and more laissez-faire economics are actually suffering from hoarding syndrome. What If they were born middle class or lower middle class, they would be the people who have an apartment with newspapers up to the ceiling and, and every tin can that they ever opened still sitting in the kitchen. But instead, they've done it with money on the one hand. So there's that mental illness you're talking about. But with regard to the Republican Party as a whole, that what they're experiencing is not so much mental illness as just good old-fashioned corruption. The Supreme Court said it's okay for corrupt billionaires to own politicians, and the Republican politicians lined up with their hands out and said, hey, give me enough money and I'm willing to be totally corrupted. And so you've got corruption in the political party and you've got mental illness in the billionaires, in some of the billionaires who are funding that political party. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Karen. I think between the two of us, we're on to something. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Boy, I, you know... Louise and I had, this is great, you know, we took this cruise to Alaska. We do a listener cruise every year. Actually, our affiliate WCPT in Chicago puts it together and we go along. Then the next one will be a year from now to Bermuda. Half the cost of the one to Alaska, which is kind of cool. But anyhow, it was like we stepped out of this insane media scrum for five days or six six or seven days, I guess it was. And it was so nice. And yet I did have to check the news every day. And then we come back and it's like, whoa, it's like the wave washes over you. Now, the good news is I feel revived and ready to take this on. But the bad news is I'm realizing how absolutely overwhelmed America must be feeling constantly. So anyhow, Wade in Seattle, Wade, it says here, you think I'm being unfair to Hannity? Really? Yeah, yeah, I would say. And honestly, I'm not even a fan of Hannity, right? And I don't even agree with the idea that putting armed police guards in schools is the right way. But I guess my question is, what is the point of comparing them to brown shirts? Do you think... I'm not comparing Hannity to Hitler, and let me make that very clear. In fact, this isn't even any kind of a personal attack on Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity and I have very different politics. I have a lot of respect for him as a talk show host. He's pretty good at what he does, I mean, professionally. But politically, you know, I think he's out in the wilderness. What I was trying to point out, and I think it really bears pointing out, is that the last time a major industrialized country, instead of using the force of law to create a police agency, an armed group, used civilians with no oversight by the state and no oversight at law, armed civilians, to protect and patrol their borders and to protect and patrol their cities for the ostensible purposes of maintaining order. The last time that happened was the brown shirts in Germany. And that did not turn out real well. And I'm very concerned that if Donald Trump or Sean Hannity or anybody else on the right, and frankly, if this had been 1969 and it was proposed on the left back when the Weather Underground was out there blowing up buildings, I would say the same thing that if any group that has a political agenda that they attempt to justify by violence or that they use to justify violence, if any political group like that 
becomes literally a million armed men in the streets, you have lost your democracy. That's my point, Wade. You know, honestly, I can't argue with that. Okay, no. thank you very much. Appreciate yep. the call. James in Meridian, Connecticut. Hey, James, what's up? Yeah, I, um, I just wanted to say you are a very brilliant man. I've been listening to you for a while. I really appreciate your misuse. But let me say this. Donald Trump is the head of the executive branch of government, correct? correct. Which, yes. which enforces the laws. Yes, that's, that's true. all okay. true, yes. So he enforces the laws with nothing but force. In essence, a police force or any executive uses force, so guns, to enforce the law, right? On behalf of we the people who put On those behalf, elected office holders say, in place, yes. Would you say that Donald Trump is a duly elected president? Yes. Okay. So in other words... Wait, I mean, I could argue that, that he wouldn't be there if it wasn't for lies and the Russians. People, the Second Amendment is very important because what it does is it allows people to take control of their own security. And I see a lot of people advocating for taking guns, their means of protection, out of the hands of the individual into the hands of the government. Yeah. James, I, please Trump, name for me. James, stop for a second. Name for me one politician in all of the United States who is saying that you should not be allowed to have a gun for personal protection. Eric Swalwell. Nope. He's not saying you can't have a gun for your personal protection. He's saying you can't have a military weapon for your personal protection. That's a different thing from a gun. There's an incredible amount of ignorance on the left of what a military weapon is versus what a civilian weapon is. Now, when the Constitution was written, it was the military issue weapon. So you would use a musket to go against a musket. Now, in today's modern military, they have fully automatic M4 James, James, you know, you're sputtering nonsense here. There are no politicians in America who want to take away your guns for personal defense. And I don't even get what this has to do with Donald Trump. I mean, this is just totally bizarre. Paul in Woodenville. Hey, Paul, what's up? Perfect segue, last caller here. Because this thing with Sean Hannity, let me point out his perspective. He seems to think that arming every school and arming every shopping mall, as if this is a federal project, and as if guns... With civilians. Yeah, as if mass shootings are a force of nature, an act of God like bad weather. Right, with untrained civilians who are not answerable to law or elections. Right, but they don't have the perspective that the state, the state should have a right to determine who has a gun and regulate guns. See, they don't agree with that. They just think that since guns are a force of nature and these things are an act of God, the federal government should be able to declare them. See, they have, no, they have no respect for the plenary power of the state. So when you look at the Second Amendment, previous caller, when it says, in order to preserve the preservation of a free state, it has always been understood that the state has plenary power over the people in the state. So if the state and the people elect representatives within the state who don't want to have armed guards at every mall and every school, the federal government has nothing to say about that. We don't have to put up with mayhem at every turn. And that's what people like the previous caller think that the founding fathers intended, that the Second Amendment simply means mayhem at the drop of a hat. It's just a force of nature. And I'm telling you what, he's out of his mind, and I hope the young people in this country like the Parkland people and, and the young people in this country finally wake up and say, uh-uh, we ain't having this anymore. And yeah, they will take away your damn gun. Well, yes and no. The previous caller is, you're correct, Paul, terribly uninformed. That's why I wrote this book, you know, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment, to lay out where did the Second Amendment come from and how did this gun culture that we have right now emerge and then what can we do about it, obviously. Not to give a shameless plug for the book, but I put a year and a half of work into that thing and, it, and it's got a lot of good information in it. And he's completely missing it. And there is this mythology on the right that the whole point of the Second Amendment was so that if citizens ever get sufficiently pissed off at their government because their government is turned oppressive that they can take down their government. And A, you know, talk to George Washington and the folks at Shays Rebellion about that. Or B, talk to the Confederate Army about that and see how well that works out. And C, that was obviously never the intent of these people. And, 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 what, and where's the chain of command and all that? When, and who decides when the government is become... Well, apparently the guy president? in charge is Sean Hannity. Okay, well, the other thing about this previous caller, he says, oh, the left is terribly ignorant about what a military weapon is. You know what? 
it's a matter of law. I'm tired of these right-wingers saying that, oh, the liberals don't know anything about guns, you don't know anything about ballistics, and right. that makes him the expert, and so therefore we can't have a this conversation. Right. Um, we're the experts on not being shot. And guess what, Tom? It's not a gun-grabbing liberals who are the ones who are going to the shooting up the Walmart. It's people like them. I got it. And, Paul, right. I'm sorry. I want to get a caller from El Paso in here. In the, thanks, Paul. Bobby in El Paso, yeah. Texas. What's up? At first, I was angry. Now, I'm sad. Now, this guy has the nerve to want to come to my town and visit. In fact, I'm not really political. I used to be, but I stopped for a while. After this incident, there's a representative here. Veronica Escobar, and there's also Beto O'Rourke, who don't want him here. The mayor wants him here, you know, but we're going to do the best in our power. I'm going to help. I'm going to volunteer my time. I don't want him here. He's the Fuhrer. He's a Nazi. He's a fascist. And that's the thing is that the, the media doesn't have the balls to say what he is. He's a fascist. Yeah. And yeah. he doesn't have, they don't have, they're coming out now with, even the lieutenant governor here in Texas is claiming that it's video games and it's because we don't go to church. Yeah, no, I get That's it. I get it. Bobby, thank you for the call. And thanks. And I, I get your heartfelt concern. And I wish you the very best. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The Trump campaign, by the way, still owes the city of El Paso a half a million dollars from Trump's rally there a month or so ago. They, they, you know, they don't pay their bills. Welcome back. Let's check in with Bob Nay and talk media news. Find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Congressman, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. How are you? I am great, but I'll get better. And I mm-hmm. hope our country does. I've been talking about how I believe that one of the, if not the largest problem that we are facing right now is the fact that the man in the White House is actually mentally ill and nobody is willing to say it out loud. It is the biggest, you know, the the emperor has no clothes problem that we have right now. And it's just anyhow, Bob, what's in the news? and What are your thoughts on all that? Dovetailing on that, it's amazing. You know, a lot of my friends will say, well, he clearly lied about something. okay, or clearly, you know, didn't tell the truth about statistics or whatever. You know what I mean? It's never called completely on the carpet. I mean, everybody knows it. But it's, it's the way he functions. Right. Being a pathological and, liar is actually a mental illness. It's, yeah, it's the That's way why it's called functions. pathology. You know, so you have to work around it to see what you want to do to stop it, you know. Yeah. And I wanted to mention this story because this, is, this story is going to get very little attention and probably very little understanding. But this is a story. It's called data from the News Whip. And that was provided to one of the media sites. Mm -hmm. And what it says is that guns surged to the top of the national conversation. Well, I think we all kind of knew that, right? Right. But this article goes on to talk about how the activism is cyclical, because we have these horrible things, and then things go to a little bit calming point, and then, you know, a horrible thing that happens again. But they make it clear that the issue, believe it or not, and, of course, I kind of believe this after the school shootings. Nothing happened, you know, uh, of all the little kids. But they say it has yet to be a defining issue in the election process. And I think right now, because we're reading about O'Rourke and Donald Trump and tweets and things, you know, that we think that it's kind of front and center. But actually, the video games were the topic that was adjacent to the shooting that generated the most interactions, by the way, on you know, media and social media, et cetera. Well, that's because all the Republicans were talking about that. That's they, right. you know, they, they were coming right. out and saying it's the video games. Obviously, it's not the video games. I mean, the American Psychological right. Association came out and knocked that down. Right. And and they were largely pieces. Uh, also, there were blowbacks about Trump and also Kevin McCarthy, the leader who was, you know, focusing on right. the video games. And then uh, so the big picture is that of the 2020 candidates, OK, many had comments on it, you know, about Trump, and et cetera, and what happened in the shootings. But of them, among the 75 biggest stories about guns and shootings last week, which now this included the Gilroy Garlic shootings, by the way, mm-hmm. all right, only two of those stories were about comments from 2020 candidates. And Pete Buttigieg, and he had America under attack from homegrown white nationalist terrorists, mm-hmm. and Beto O'Rourke, Trump's racism leads to violence like El Paso. And so the reason I bring this story up is you said something I was listening, you know, when I was on hold here. And um, 
one of the things is that the people are back in the districts for the most part, unless they're you know running around somewhere else the rest of the world, but they are back in the districts. And actually, being back in the district and people interacting with them in their districts is a better thing right now than letting them escape to somewhere, frankly, away from the constituency. Except, I, except the vast majority of Republicans, Bob, are not holding town halls. They're just, they're just going on vacation. But people can you know, find out where they're at through the releases. They're going to be at different events. They're going to be at a county fair. You know, yeah. and so people can, you know, follow some of the, you know, how they put their schedules out and things like that. I think that would be. No, what uh, I'm saying is that I get calls from people in, who are represented by Republicans and they say, you know, I called my representative's office and said, where are you going to be this summer? And the answer was he's going to be in Montana fly fishing. He's going to take a vacation. Right. He's entitled to a vacation, too. He's not so holding any public that, events. How do you deal with right. that? Well, if they don't do any public events, then that one's tough, you know. Then I would yeah. still suggest, and people might scoff at this, a good old-fashioned handwritten letter. Right. When, when handwritten to letters come to office. congressional offices, trust me, I was a congressman for 11 years, the staff says, wow, we got 100 actual handwritten letters on that issue. Yeah, it's a big deal. So I just right. kind of how does, to I'm curious out. how this works in the Republican Party, Bob. Mm-hmm. Within 16 hours or so of the El Paso shooting, you had... A whole bunch of top Republican officials calling out video games. You know, Kevin McCarthy, one of the spokespeople for Mitch McConnell, the president mentioned video games. It's like all of a sudden, very, very quick, I mean, in less than 24 hours, all the Republicans or high profile Republicans are literally saying the same thing. This does not happen in the Democratic Party. How does this happen in the Republican Party? Is there like a phone tree? Is there a conference call? Does everybody get a secret email? I mean, how, how does this happen? Well, they actually are very, very good because I was there and you know, I was in the political arm of the of the party, too. Sure. And they have a very, very great conference call in system. They'll put out the alerts. You call the conference call. Usually the communication leader of the party will say, you know, this is our theme, et cetera. They have talking points. I, they do it mainly by conference call, though. Interesting. Which would be highly get on private. The same theme. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Bob Nay, yeah. former congressman, author of Sideswiped. Bob, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. Hey, we've got a new video up. You can find the link to it over at TomHartman.com. And basically, it's about all these free browser extensions. They can do anything from reading your passwords to reading your bank data if they choose to. And we give them routinely permission to do this. Uh, There are ways around this, and there's ways to avoid it. But just like waking up to this, pretty important stuff. So check it out. Available over at TomHartman.com. So Thank you. So Trump has finished his uh, trip to Dayton. He's on to El Paso. He hit out through the whole thing. They did the parade route where the president's car and all that kind of stuff comes into town uh, in a way that he couldn't see the protesters. They couldn't see him. Uh, They snuck him into the back of the hospital. He went up. Many of the people in the hospital didn't want to see him or talk to him. A few did, uh, probably a few Fox watchers. Who knows? I don't know. I'm guessing the stories will be coming out over time. And then they basically smuggled him back to the airplane and off he went. You know, in the past, when presidents go to sites of mass shootings, They come in to heal. They give public speeches. They show up in public. They say something nice to bring the community together. Trump smuggles himself into the hospital, shakes a couple of hands, and then smuggles himself out of town because nobody wanted to see him. You know, for some fairly, in my my opinion, some fairly obvious reasons. Roberto in New Mexico. Hey, Roberto, what's up? I know a lot of people, they talk about the fear of having immigrants or having people of color is because they feel that their values are going to be changed, the values in the United States and so forth. But I think that the values that minorities have, we have the same values as white people. We care about our family. We care about our country. We are hard workers and so forth. So I think that people need to talk to white people that are afraid and say to them, you know, what? it's not nothing to fear. We are like you. We, you know, we have the same values. Yeah. And that's true. Black people, too. They People just want to raise their families. They want to fall in love. They want to have a good job. They want to live in a decent house. It's not like, you know, ISIS has set up shop here. And this is true, by the way, of Muslims who are not members of ISIS, which is probably 100 percent of American Muslims. I would say that the people who don't share those values, Roberto, are these white people who are out on the streets with tiki torches saying Jews will not replace us. They are the ones who don't share American values. Yeah. Roberto, thank you very much for the call. Very nice to hear from you. James in Chicago. Hey, James, what's up? 
Okay, Tom, I like to say I really appreciate your program. Keep the integrity where it is. Thank you. You know, I got a little sidetracked, but what I find to be interesting is that they constantly say leaders in Washington, leaders in Washington. First of all, these are people that we've hired. We've elected them and hired them to represent us. That's correct. You know, and if, in fact, we don't tell them, like, you know, push through right now because we have a Democratic-controlled Congress, and at least, you know, the House of Representatives is controlled by the Democrats. If we don't push through bills and set them right in Moscow Mitch's face and make him look as bad as we can possibly make him look, then we can keep on expecting to get the same thing. We have to show that he's not working for He's not working for us. Well, that's what, that's what Pelosi's been doing. I would like a little more political theater. I would love to have, you know, a bunch of Democrats go back into the House and say, because they are doing pro forma sessions in the Senate, and I am assuming that they're doing them in the House. I would love to see them, you know, basically reoccupy the House or have some Democrat, Democratic senators occupy the Senate, basically, and mm-hmm. raise some hell about yeah. this. I mean, we need Very some political important. theater. I think also the other thing is this, and I notice everybody says America. Well, you got to stop saying America. It's the United States. It's how divided, regardless of how divided we are. This is the United States, not America, because America is going to be referring to everything from Canada all the way down to the lower parts of the South. Those are the Americas, so it's a little bit... Yeah, Mexicans are Americans, Canadians are Americans, and if if you don't believe it, just call yourself an American sometime, and they'll point, oh, I'm an American too. We live in North America. Come on. It's all named after Amerigo Vespucci, you know. We should have called it Vespucci land. God bless Vespucci land. Nobody even thought about that. Somebody came over here and named the land after to somebody and I always ask because I've talked to people that are native that are indigenous to this, 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 this uh, continent and I say what did you guys call it before they named it for you <laughs> and they say and they say just called it home <laughs> there you go I think that there was a designation of Turtle Island, but I don't know how, you know, how specific that is to one tribe or how generic that was nationwide. James, thanks for the call. Great to hear from you. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It really doesn't work if you and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers don't show up, don't participate. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.